up, everyone? I hope you're doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia here with Swan Hume for episode 151 of the MMA Reigns podcast. How you doing today, sir? Let everybody know what you are up to in the Hume's household. Not too much. I just got out of a basketball game. They had senior night, so that took forever. <laughs> and uh, the coach started having a speech. It was supposed to be a five-minute speech. I think he's still talking, and that was like 25 minutes ago. So I left. How did the game go? Uh, we won. We won uh, JV and Varsity. Both won. Both won. That's what's up, man. Always good to hear that. Well, we have quite a bit to talk about this week, where um, we are previewing UFC 247, which is this Wednesday, or excuse me, this Saturday, talking about some new fight announcements and also other combat sports news from around the world. So, Swan, let's go ahead and jump right into it and talk about UFC 247. But before we do that, why don't you let everybody know where to find our content every week? Uh, you can find us on YouTube, FM Anchor, iTunes, and uh, FM Player. Awesome. And we are also working hard on launching a Patreon, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, which will have some exclusive MMA ratings content. Hopefully we'll get that up in the next few weeks, but keep an eye on our Twitter handle at MMA Ratings Net, where we will talk about that. And also, um, you can catch us at MMARatings.net, where you can always go and rate the fights. And we have some fights to at least rate how excited we are as they come closer this week. We have UFC 247, where John Jones and Dominic Reyes are fighting for the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship. And this is an important fight for a number of different reasons. Obviously, you have John Jones at 25-1, and 1, facing off against the undefeated Reyes at 12-0. and 0. So that's probably a... That, that fight right there deserves a preview all in itself. I have a bunch of different questions written down to talk to you about this, uh, Schwann, but let's start from the very top. What do you see happening in this fight uh, over the course of 25 minutes of action. Uh, well, the biggest question for me is, is as long as is John, Chin's, John Jones' durability, as long as he still has his chin and his durability, I don't see how Dominic Reyes wins this. I know a lot of people haven't been enamored with John Jones' skills, especially the skills he showcased in his last few fights. But the one thing you can't avoid is the fact that no matter how much he's been hit or how clean he's been hit or how big a hitter he's been hit by, He's found some way to navigate through that and take over the take over the fight, and it's really the biggest advantage he has is his height and his durability. Because of his range, the range of his punches, the range of his kicks, guys lack the footwork and the overall technique to get through it to get to him. And then the few occasions they can get to him when they land one shot or maybe two or three shots on him, they can't do enough damage to get him to back off or to keep him from taking them down and working them over. So unless one of those two things changes, it's really going to be hard for me to see a way that Reyes wins because he has to land, he, he'd have to put consistent damage on Jones, or I guess he has to land a Hail Mary shot. And both of those things are very difficult for a guy who's got the skill set of Reyes. I'm not saying he doesn't have a great skill set. He's, he's got a good one, but right now I still feel he's more of an athlete than a fighter. And I feel there's a lot of holes that he has in his game that Jones can exploit. The only advantage he has, once again, is he can be explosive, he can be dynamic. He's long, he, he's powerful, but as far as how to 
maximize those physical tools, I, I still don't know that he knows how to do those things quite yet. So one thing I've been hearing pretty much a lot of is that John Jones, the most he struggled is he struggles against guys who can box well. And that is being um, hyped as a skill that Reyes um, has coming into this fight. Is that a true narrative to you? Do you, th do you think that Jones consistently struggles against guys who can box with him or outbox him? And is this a fight where we should expect to see that happen? Well, the biggest thing is, like, I mean, if we're really being honest, in the, in the light heavyweight division, who are the really great boxers? Alex Gustafsson isn't a great boxer. Um, Anthony Smith wasn't a great boxer. Volkan Ozemir isn't a great boxer. Uh, Daniel Cormier isn't a great boxer. He might struggle with guys who who are aggressive enough with their punching, where they're willing to take some to get their shots off. But I can't say there's anybody in the division who's a good enough boxer where I can say he struggles with boxing. The thing is, John Jones isn't a very good boxer. In the mid-range, he's not very good. He doesn't maximize his range with his long limbs, with his jab or his fakes or his long right crosses or long left hands. He doesn't maximize it. His footwork's not great. His head movement's not great. So in the instance, you can exploit him with his boxing. But the problem is, John Jones is so long the guys can't get into the range to, to put their hands together. First, they have to get past his punches. Then they have to get past his kicks and his knees. And then if you actually get in on the inside of him, you always have to fear the threat of him body locking you or tying you up and just throwing you. So does he have a weakness in boxing? Yes. Can I say he struggles with boxers? No, because most guys in the division aren't really good boxers. I guess you could say Gustafsson caused him problems. But I think Gustafsson's ability to stymie Jones is because A, he's very mobile and athletic and B, he's very long. Like Jones wasn't dealing, isn't used to dealing with guys who are who are comparable reach and comparable height to him. And I think that threw him off a little bit. But just saying he has a problem with boxers, I can't really say that because nobody in the division is anywhere near what I would consider to be a boxer. So you mentioned having comparable size to Jones. Um, Reyes does have that. Do you think that's going to be a big cause for concern on Saturday? I think it can be, because, but Reyes, Reyes likes to kick a lot, so, but it's, it will be because Reyes won't be giving up range. He's, he should be able to get at Jones at the same instance that Jones can get at him. The only problem is Reyes is a very kick-heavy fighter. I haven't seen him be really great with his hands, not with fades to set shots up. I, I don't know that he can strike himself into clinches or takedown attempts. He usually kind of stays at the edge and chops away guys' legs, chops away their body. And Jones is vulnerable to leg kicks. Jones is vulnerable to kicks. He, he's not used to guys kicking with him. But Jones also has the ace in the hole of his being able to transition from striking to wrestling. And he hasn't done it a lot in recent fights, but it's still something he has in his back pocket that I think can work against Reyes because Reyes isn't a great takedown defender. He's gotten taken down by almost everybody he's faced. Taken down by St. Prue, who's nobody's wrestler. He got taken down by a faded Chris Weidman. And he got taken down by Vulcan Ozdemir. None of these guys have the wrestling pedigree of Jones. None of them have the fluidity of Jones. And none of them have the physical strength and ability to transition from ranges like Jones does. Now, Reyes' height and his reach will give him an ability to hit Jones. And that, that's true, but he's not used to really dealing with long, long active kickers and punchers himself. So it's like both guys have the same problem. Both guys mirror each other. They can hit each other from a range they're not used to being hit from, but they're also vulnerable from range they're not being used to being vulnerable from. So they both have pluses and minuses. The thing that tips it in Jones's favor is one, Jones is more proven as far as taking punishment, and two, Jones is known 
for transitioning to takedown attempts. And and Reyes has never been really great. He's great at getting back up, but he's not very good at defending takedowns. So what is the biggest weakness that both individuals can exploit from their opponent on Saturday? For Reyes, it's the fact that Jones doesn't really have a mid-range game. He doesn't really have a defensive game. His whole game is built off him framing up, sticking out his limbs, throwing out long strikes to chop you up or punish you or keep you from closing distance in him. Reyes has, like I said, it's comparable length. He has an active kicking game, so the distance shouldn't be that big a problem for him. He should be able to get to Jones' body with kicks. He should be able to get to Jones' legs with kicks. He might even be able to kick him in the head. The problem is, is he going to be able to, is he going to be comfortable and willing to open up offensively with his kicks and risk being taken down or risk getting put in the clinch or risk getting put up against the cage? Because it's one thing to be get back up against Ovin St. Prue. It's another thing to get back up against Vulcan Ozemir. It's another thing to get back up from John Jones, who may have time, who in recent times has struggled getting guys to the ground. But when he has gotten guys to the ground, he has submitted them. He's punished them, either punished them and submitted them. He looked at Anthony Smith. Once he finally got him down, he worked him over. When he got Alex Gustafson down, he just finished him. So from that regard, Jones has targets that should be vulnerable to Reyes' athleticism. Like I said, his body and his legs. But the question is, will Reyes take those chances? Is he confident enough in his counter-grappling, defensive grappling, and defensive wrestling that he's going to be able to take advantage of those things? Plus, you have to think about the fact that even if he's defending Jones's takedown, is his cardio going to hold up long enough that he can still be an offensive threat with his kicks, his straight left, his body kicks, and his leg kicks? For Jones, um, Reyes isn't really great defensively. If you pressure him, you can get to him. His, his defense is predicated on him being long and him being athletic. So you can get to him on the feet. But once again, the glaring hole he's had is guys have been able to get their hands on him and get takedowns. And once again, even if he doesn't get taken down by Jones, having to be in clinches or in ties with Jones is going gonna, is gonna to wear him down. It's going to take some of that explosiveness away. And then w- once he has some of that explosiveness gone, his offense isn't nearly as dynamic. His defense is non-existent. And his ability to, to grapple defensively or get back up is going to essentially be taken away. So the clearest path to victory for Jones is to mix in takedown attempts and takedowns to wear Reyes down to take away that explosiveness and make it a battle of skill and IQ. And for Reyes, the best option for him is to come out and jump on Jones right away, attack his legs, attack his body, kind of crash that pocket, take away that limb, and force him to really have to take numerous shots and force him to have to defend and come up with legitimate counters or offensive measures to keep Reyes off him. But in taking that risk, he opens himself up to takedowns and clinches. But if he wants to have the best chance of winning, he doesn't want to stay at a distance and box with Jones or strike with Jones, he wants to put the pressure on Jones, put Jones on his back foot. Because Jones has makes a lot of defensive mistakes that he only gets to navigate because of his length and because of his durability. Put both of those things to the test by being aggressive with them. Okay. So, last question I want to <laughs> ask in reference to this main event. It's kind of a couple-parter. Jones wins on um, Saturday. Do you A... Have him bump up the heavyweight, challenge for the title there, or B, have Adesanya come up and have that fight go down. In my opinion, I believe you move Adesanya up and you set that fight um, together first. I mm, 
while I like the idea of him moving up to 100 or uh, heavyweight and maybe challenging Stipe because Stipe is kind of playing hardball with the UFC right now, I do think they can get more bang for their buck out of Adesanya right this moment. But I'm asking you, Schwan, you're in charge. Which way do you go, Adesanya, or do you bump him up and have him fight um, Stipe? I mean, if you could make the Adesanya fight, it's a sellable fight. Jones has a certain fan base that tunes him to see him fight anymore, fight more. Adesanya already has kind of a fan base. He's put on a couple of fights. He's been very impressive, and they've been going back and forth. You can build that fight easier. You have you have sound, you have clips of sound, you have media, you have constant interviews. That's an easy fight to make, and it's a fight between guys who are who are striking, who are streaking across MMA, and it really haven't shown any any holes that a guy a person could maximize to to beat them. Adesanya hasn't really been submitted. He he's taken shots. He hasn't been finished. He hasn't been submitted. He hasn't really been taken down and controlled. He's essentially had an answer for any question posed to him. And Jones, as shaky as look in his last defense, still hasn't had any question posed to him that he hasn't had an answer for. That fight's an easy make. I don't know if it's likely because I think Adesanya wants to at least win at least two or three more fights in the middleweight division before he even attempts to take on Jones. I think he has his own journey, and I think that's what he wants to do. Uh, Stipe would probably take the fight. That'd probably be the easier fight to make because it's a name fight for Stipe. It's a big fight for Stipe, and it's a fight that could get him paid, and he doesn't seem to want to fight Daniel Cormier. Um, the only issue once holding up, once again, is, Cor- is Stipe is always playing hardball with the UFC, which I get. The UFC treats him as a kind of a redheaded stepchild, a second option. So, of course, he's going to try to milk them for all the money he can and maximize his opportunities. But if I had a choice, I'd probably rather see Adesanya versus Jones. I just don't think it's very likely because I don't think Adesanya likes being dictated to. And if a fight with him and Jones happens, you know Jones is going to be rubbing it in that I made this happen and I, you, you, dance to my, you dance to my tune and I call the shots. And I don't think Adesanya is going to allow himself to be put in that kind of position. I think he wants to build up his own brand and make sure he's on equal footing with Jones before he takes a fight. But I, I would much rather, I think I'd much rather see the Adesanya Jones fight. Okay, great thoughts there, great thoughts. Let's move over to this co-main event. Where we have Valentina Shevchenko and Caitlin Chukagian. Now, Caitlin's coming into this fight as a, depending on where you find her, you can find her as a plus 500 favorite all the way up to 1100 favorite here. I am of the ilk, though, that I think this would, it would obviously be an upset if she won. But with the way judging goes and with the team she has around her, I wouldn't put that past her, uh, especially with her ability to hit, move in and out. However, Shevchenko is talented in nearly every area of the game. Some people have gone as far as to consider her the best woman in, in the sport today, which I don't agree with, but that's, you know, we've argued about this time and time again. What are your thoughts about this co-main event, and how do you see a path to victory for Chukagian? Well, the biggest thing is, I, to me, Chukagian's like a, a a less sturdy, less physically imposing version of Holly Holm. They both have generally kick-heavy offenses. Neither one is great with their hands. Neither one is particularly accurate. They fight at a high pace, and um, a lot of what they do is based, predicated on their movement and their athleticism and their cardio. Um, this is kind of an uphill battle for Chukagian. Just because of what I mentioned before, Chukagian is not a bad striker. She's a good striker. But the fact is, she hasn't been terribly accurate. And even when she lands, she's not known as a punishing fighter 
or a fighter who can break people down with her power. I've never really seen her break anybody down or really back somebody up. She kind of chopped up Amanda Davis a little bit, but I don't really feel she was ever close to stopping Amanda Davis. And the problem for Chukagan in this is Valentina Shevchenko is a better athlete, a bigger, stronger athlete, more durable, and she's a world-class counterpuncher. If your thing is throwing volume, then you're pretty much serving yourself up to be countered. The question is, does Chukagan have the durability and does she have the grit to really try to drown Valentina in, in, in volume? You can do that. Valentina likes to hang on from the perfect shot. Valentina likes to land the right shot, the clean shot, the shot that, that kind of doesn't open her up for clean for punishment. It doesn't allow her to be trapped or allow her to get overwhelmed. But the thing about it is in waiting, she can let people rack up points because she's just defending. She's just moving around. She's not through moving her hand. And it, at Bantamweight, it was an issue because she was facing big, strong girls who, who could soak up her power. Big, strong girls who she couldn't just finish with one shot or rock with one shot or back up with one shot. But at Flyweight, it's a little bit different. When she hits girls, they tend to respond a little bit differently to the power. Even Liz Carmouche, who's notoriously durable, once Liz caught a couple of counter shots, Liz wasn't willing to move her hands. Liz wasn't willing to pressure. We saw it happen to Jessica I. Every time she hit her, she hurt her, and then she put her out. And against uh, Priscilla Cachoeira, she just beat her with an inch of her life. She was rocking her, stunning her, dropping her with every shot she landed. So at this weight class, her power seems to be more impactful, which is enhanced by the fact that she's so accurate. So that's the danger that Chukagan puts herself at risk in because for her to be effective, she has to put on pressure. She has to throw a lot of volume. And when you throw a lot of volume, you're serving yourself up for counters. As I said before, her best option to me is to really push your pace and transition between striking and grappling to see if that she can outpace Valentina and maybe get her fighting at a higher pace and throwing at a higher volume, that, which will affect her accuracy, her conditioning, and her ability to really set down on the power shot. Or she can just really bite down, accept the fact she's going to get countered a lot, and try to literally drown Valentina in, in volume. Like land, for every clean shot Valentina lands, she tries to land six, seven, eight, nine glancing shots, where she just piles on the numbers. But in doing so, you're opening yourself up for a clean counter for a girl who isn't a knockout artist at Bantamweight, but at Flyweight, Valentina is a punishing fighter. And I don't know that Chukagan can stand up to the power if she's taking one, two, three, four, five, six clean shots around. I I don't know that she can stand up to it. And I don't know that she can maintain that that volume once she's been robbed. So... My best option would be for her to either force a high-paced fight where you're transitioning through the ranges from grappling to wrestling to striking, striking to wrestling to grappling, or for her to literally, I'm just going to stick and move and try to out-volume her and just out-volume her and just bury her in volume. I'm gonna, for every three shots she throws, I'm going to throw 15 and hope that I can fool the judges into thinking that my volume is doing more damage and, I'm, and force her to be defensive to where she's not moving her hand. So even if she lands a clean counter or two, that all the judges are going to see the fact that I threw 15 shots after that, threw 15 shots before it, and she's not throwing half as many shots as me. So maybe they'll assume that I'm taking control of the fight. That, those are the two best options I have for her. But that's not that, that's not considering the fact that Valentina is very good at transitioning herself and has been, at, at least in this division, has been getting takedowns left and right and punishing girls when she's got them. Yeah, the only person she has not taken down was Amanda Nunez in the second fight. She took her down once in the first, but she never, um, other, in that second fight at UFC, what was that, 215, I think, 
That's the only other time. That's the only time she has not gotten a takedown in a UFC fight. Let me ask you this. What about the comparisons of, of Chukagian being a similar fighter to Frankie Edgar? Is that true or 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 not? I can see them I can see them making that comment and the fact that she moves a lot, she throws a lot of volume, she circles, she comes in with these big flurries. She's she's a better kicker than Frankie. She's a more varied kicker than Frankie. And the issue is she's not as good a wrestler. Like she's used takedowns before, but but I don't know that her takedowns or her distance management is good enough where her takedowns will be as clean or as powerful as Frankie. There's a certain amount of strength that he has from being a lifelong wrestler that Chukagan is not going to have. I don't know that Chukagan gets her hands on somebody like Valentina Shachenko and just has her way with her. Val Shachenko was able to defend takedowns and hang in the clinch with Amanda Nunes. Are you telling me that Chukagan in the two or three years she's been in, in this division has become that much better a wrestler? I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just not very likely. And when you're dealing with somebody that much bigger, that much stronger than you, and that much better an athlete, even if their wrestling isn't quite on par, the fact of the matter is athleticism, size, and strength, when you, you have a noticeable advantage over somebody, can be enough for you to work out of takedowns, for you to get your own takedowns, or for you to get right back up if a takedown is is um, given to you. So I, I could see the I could see the, the comp I could see the comparisons a little bit, but in the biggest spots that I think they're comparable in, they don't they don't play to her favor. Frankie, as good as he's been, he's been known as defensively, he's really only been a good defensive fighter the past three to four years. Prior to that, he got hit a lot. And Chukagan, when got when people are willing to bite down and attack her, have been able to hit her a lot. Um, friend of the show, Connor Rebush, helped come up with a game plan for one of her opponents. And even though that opponent lost that fight, that opponent did some serious work against Chukagan. And that opponent was not a world-class striker, not even a state-level striker. We're talking about a world-class, at one point, one, one of the best strikers in her division fighting Chukagan. And Chukagan makes a lot of mistakes, and she leads a lot of openings. So does she have still somewhat similar side of Frankie Edgar? Yes. But the thing is, they have two different points of emphasis. One is the wrestling, one is the striking. And if she had more of a wrestling game like Frankie, I might favor her to win the fight. But the fact of the matter is, the, the the wrestling is a fallback. The grappling is a fallback. That's not her plan A. That's not her plan B. That's her plan C and D. And it's not a particularly strong strength of hers from based on what I've seen as a fighter. So I don't think the comparison is there that much. I, I still think she's more of a Holly Holm, a more, maybe a more offensively gifted Holly Holm. Less athletically gifted, more offensively gifted Holly Holm. Okay. All right. I understand your thoughts there. Let's switch the channel over to Shevchenko. And as many other experts are saying, let's say she picks up a win on Saturday and she looks dominant in her performance. What do we see with, from her next? Does she stay at 125 where there aren't really a, a laundry list of contenders? Or does she move um, up for a super fight option? You know, she could necessarily go back up and try to fight Amanda Nunez again, or she can welcome in potentially Wiley Zhang if she keeps her title. What would you recommend um, Balancina do in her next bout? Well, it's not that there's not challengers for her. There are challengers. It's just based on their skill set and based on their physical tools and based on the opposition they face, her opponents don't seem very daunting. They're nothing that for you to get excited about because we know these girls can't hang with her on the feet. We know they're not good enough athletes to hang with her. And even the girls who, who are good at grappling, most of them aren't good enough wrestlers to put her in the spots that she doesn't want to be in. So there's lots of opponents for her, 
they're just not a lot of appealing or interesting or particularly competitive opponents based off what we've seen from everybody. And that includes Shukagan. As much as I like her and I still think she has avenues to win this fight, that loss to Jessica I is something you can't get out of your mind, especially when you look to see what Valentina did to Jessica I right after. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, she has a lot of options ahead of her. Um, Amanda Nunes hasn't really been challenged. The, the toughest fight she's had in the past couple of years is her fight with Valentina. So Valentina can always say, I've given her the toughest fight in two fights. So that's an option to move back up to see if she can challenge. And I think that I think that's something she wants to do. I think that's something she really wants to do. And if her sister was closer to a title shot in this division, I think she'd already be considering doing it. Um, the other option of having a fighter move up, I don't know if that's financially... I don't know if that's financially rewarding enough for her to take that fight. I mean, it'd be a super fight because they're two highly skilled, highly effective fighters. But as far as the money and as far as the interest, that's not a super fight. I mean, it's, it's really not. It's really not. It's not at all. And in, in, in that lower division, there's plenty of girls, I feel, who could give her a, a tough enough fight or an interesting enough fight where she shouldn't be jumping divisions this soon. I'd like to see her make another two or three defenses minimum before she challenges Valentina. And I can see Valentina making another two or three defenses because she wants to be active. I like to see either one of them make two or three more defenses before they fight each other to really assert themselves in their division as strong defending champions. Because financially, that fight's not a super fight. That's not a fight that's going to bring the casuals in. That's not going to make a lot of money. It's just going to be a highly contested fight between two skilled fighters. And if that's the case, why don't you just have her move up a weight class instead of holding up the flyweight title so she can fight um excuse me holding up the strawweight title so that she can fight valentina just let the let the title go move up take your title shot if you don't win it go back down and then we'll start all over again i'm, I'm really kind of getting tired of the super fights because nothing really comes of it and usually two divisions are, are put in limbo as a result I can agree with that. I wouldn't want to see two divisions put in limbo, as you just said. Um, I, there's a lot of opportunity in both groups. I think women's straw weight is one of my favorite um, divisions in the sport right now, within the UFC at least. So um, I would like, I would not want to see that occur as well. Um, the last question I wanted to ask about this co-main event here is, is this enough of a co-main event? To get people excited about this, why haven't we? We haven't really heard much about UFC 247 as a whole, but I think we specifically haven't heard a lot about this co-main event. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, first of all, the card the card has a bunch of fights that aren't really important or aren't really dynamic. Part of the the problem of having so many cards, you you can't have a lot of quality fights on them. You're going to have lulls in the fight quality and the fight interest. Secondly. Um, nobody really thinks Shukagan can win. I mean, Shukagan isn't a big name. In the fight she's won, she's won by decision, and she hasn't won in an in a exciting, dynamic form of decision. She's won in pretty, pretty low as far as, as far as excitement, pretty unexciting. Some would say boring fight. She, she hasn't been particularly dominant. She lost to Jessica I a couple fights before, and Jessica I got roasted. By Valentina. So a lot of people aren't don't have any interest in this because Chukagan doesn't have a fan base and Chukagan hasn't shown anything that says that she could beat Valentina Shevchenko. I mean she just hasn't. She hasn't shown the power, she hasn't shown the wrestling or the grappling, she hasn't even shown the kickboxing. It just seems like a painfully one-sided match. 
Now, as we stated earlier, there are ways for her to win, but those ways are so risky and those ways play into Valentina Assurance so much that it's hard to get up for a fight that you know that you know that the uh, the outcome is going to be. Secondly, Valentina's last fight against uh, Carmouche, that was boring. It wasn't so much Valentina's fault, but she played a part because she didn't take any chances either. So they're both coming off of less than stellar previous performances, and neither one of them is particularly standout popular in the UFC. So that fight's not going to get a lot of attention. And I, I thought the UFC would have built a stronger card around it just to kind of help push forward Valentina as a champion and, and, and help establish a fan base for her. But they didn't do her any favors with this card. The best thing they did was have John Jones fight over her. But John Jones is in a matchup that nobody thinks his opponent can win, which makes it even makes it even hard to sell, sell him. So I, I don't think she's going to get a lot of attention on this unless she has a dynamic and pretty decisive win i don't think this win is going to get her make her any bigger of a name or make her any more legitimate of a fighter especially with a person like chukagan who knows how to survive so um as far as expanding her brand or making a big way splash with this this co-main event i think the ufc's failed on on both on both event, both accounts All right. Well, you mentioned the strength of this car as a whole. I want to talk about some of the other fights. There's only two that really jumped out to me. Jarek Lewis and Ilir Latifi. What are the chances this fight goes all three rounds? It could because Derek, Derek um, Lewis isn't good at leading. He's, he's very poor at leading. If Latifi wants to make it ugly and stink it out and just stick and move and stick and move and run around, he could, he could very well go three rounds with with Lewis. Lewis isn't good at setting up his strikes. Lewis isn't good at closing distance. That's why he does a lot of those jump kicks, and that's why he throws loaded up bombs. He does that to get you to come in and counter him, and when you counter him, then he can take the shot long enough where he can land a big counter, or he puts you, he puts you up against the cage with big leaping strikes where you're forced to strike at him and throw volume, and then he lands a counter on you. Derek Lewis really isn't a great offensive wrestler, isn't a great offensive kicker, isn't a great offensive puncher. He's big and strong enough where he can impose his will on Latifi, but if Latifi actually plays a smart a smart MMA game, he can stay on the outside, stick and move. He can use takedown. He can probably get a takedown. I, I'd assume he could take down Derek Lewis fairly consistently and get back up and, and move around. I, I, it could go three rounds easily. Derek Lewis doesn't have the foot speed and he doesn't have the skill set to really trap or pressure Latifi unless... Latifi fights a very dumb and very overly aggressive fight. So it's very likely that fight could go three rounds. I don't think it will because Lewis should land some big shots. I think Latifi's going to get a little overeager trying to get his offense off. But if it went three rounds and it wasn't an exciting three rounds, that would not shock me at all. I wouldn't be shocked in the least. So Lewis is sitting at number six in the rankings. Elie Latifi isn't ranked at all because he's been struggling as of late. What is the value of, of this heavyweight fight for both men? Uh, this is a stay-busy fight for Lewis. Hopefully he gets a big knockout and it kind of starts getting the uh, machine moving again. He's got, a new, he's got a big knockout. He said he's going to make some changes to his weight and his training. So if he looks dynamic, then, it, then it, the story gets it's a brand-new Black Beast. He's in better shape. He's taking it more seriously. He's ready to make a serious run of the title. So you can sell that angle of it. Um, but it's really a fight they're trying to give him with the guy who's got a name 
and Faison is going to give him a chance to end it spectacularly and kind of showcase his power and make people fear and respect what he can do again. For Latifi, this is a chance to jumpstart his career. He was struggling in light, light heavyweight. He had pretty much gone on a losing streak and was falling out of the rankings, and they're giving him a big name. If he can beat Lewis, even if it's a boring fight, that's still a huge feather in his cap, and it instantly makes him a player at the, at the heavyweight division. This is a all-reward, no-risk fight for Latifi outside of the risk of getting hurt. For Lewis, if he wins, it's not going to be big news, and if he loses, it's going to cause him to tumble down the rankings. So it's a very risky fight for him, and it's a very reward-filled fight for Latifi. But um, like I said, it, they're trying to they're trying to use this to showcase Lewis and to reestablish him as the dominating force. And Latifi's just got to got to make the best of his opportunity and hopefully put himself in a position where he could be a a name or a contender in the heavyweight division. And all he has to do is get one win, and instantaneously he's 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 a contender for the title. All right. What about this um, Angela Lee-Laura Murphy fight? Uh, I think that this fight has some value for both women as well. They are sitting at um, eight, seven and eight, respectively, in the division. If something happens to the main event, like let's say Caitlin Chikigian falls out because of weight-cutting issues, I expect one of these women to get bumped up to the main, co-main event. What, but if that does not happen and they're facing off against each other, you know, Laura Murphy's been on a little bit of a better run than Angela Lee as of late. What do you see happening in this bout here? First of all, if either one gets moved up, that's, I know Valentina wouldn't have much time to prepare. I think she kills both of them. <laughs> she might literally, it'd be just guy all over except worse. Um, in this matchup, I really think Lauren Murphy has a chance to win this fight. I know Angelie's a younger fighter. She's, in theory, the more skilled fighter and the more, she, she's closer to her prime. But the fact of the matter is, Angelie isn't particularly physical. She seems to have cardio problems when she's forced to fight at a pace she doesn't want to. Um, she doesn't hit very hard, and she throws a lot of volume. And she, and in my opinion, as, as good as she can be offensively, she's not great defensively. And Lauren Murphy is known for pressure. Lauren Murphy is known for physicality. Lauren Murphy is known for being able to apply punishment to an opponent. Maybe not just be a knockout fighter, but she puts enough volume and enough mean intentions behind her shots where she can really chip somebody up. I don't know that Angelie has the power to scare her off, and I don't know that Angelie has the physical strength to shrug her off or push her off when she inevitably gets in gets into those clinches or gets in on her legs or pushes her up against the cage. Uh, I didn't like what I saw from Angelie last time. I saw her getting tired, and when she got tired, I saw her getting hit a lot, and when she got hit a lot, I saw her her it seemed like her urge or her willingness to really engage waned a little bit, and her ability to be accurate and technical seemed to wane a little bit. So if it becomes an actual straight-up fight, not a mixed martial arts match, but a fight, I'm going to favor Lauren Murphy. Lauren's not in, in her peak. Lauren's not the best striker. But Lauren is a very seasoned fighter. She's fought much better opposition than Angela Lee. She's kind of on a streak right now. She's kind of made a little bit of adjustment in a transition as far as how to best play her game to get the best of, to be at the best result. And I feel like she's just mentally and physically tougher. Angelique could outslick her, outwork her, and pull away from her and win a decision. But like I said, if it gets down to a fight in a matter of wills, I don't, I don't see how Angela Lee beats Lauren Murphy. It's Lauren Murphy's job to make it a battle of wills and make it a wild fight, make it a high-paced, high-contact affair. If she does, I think she wins the fight. If it's 
stays technical and it stays kind of an open space and it's a matter of athleticism, um, I think Angelie wins and she wins handily. But it's an important fight. This fight will move whoever wins up in the, up in the rankings, probably move them into, might move them around the top five or they'll be right outside the top five, if not in it. And it'll put them in position to maybe they'll be a fight or two away from a title shot. Is there anything else from UFC 247 that stands out to you? Uh, not, not really. I mean, let me let me double check this one more time because I, I really wish they'd I wish they'd find a way to manage these cards a little bit better, or maybe make these fight nights a little less appealing because they're they're missing out on all opportunities to get guys on big stages where eyes can see them and they can build a fan base. And these these fight night cards. They don't do it for me, and they don't, don't draw enough fans where guys can build up fan bases or when they get in the positions that guys like Reyes or guys like Chuke, or women like Chuke can get into where they can maximize it because they have a fan base behind them. But no, there's, there's not really a lot I, I'd want to discuss about this card, to be honest. And just realized that I was on mute still. Sorry about that. So (laughs) we're going to move on to the second round and talk about some fight announcements from this week. And the first one I want to talk about is Kamar Usman and Jorge Masvidal. According to UFC President Dana White, they're scheduled to fight in July around International Fight Week. Now, when I saw this, I, man, something about, I don't think this is going to happen, to be honest. I think this is the wrong fight to make. I believe... They go with um, Connor and Masvidal first, but talk to me about this fight here, Swan. Do you think this is the correct bout to make for the welterweight division with those three names really involved? Well, in regards to Connor, I feel Connor. We said this about this before. I feel Connor needs to have activity. He needs to fight early. He needs to fight often to get sharp because that's when he's been at his best. Is when he's been super active and he's. He's gotten round, and he's been pushed a little bit. So he's been forced to evolve, forced to make those adjustments, and forced to develop his awareness and his IQ and his techniques on the upward swing instead of just kind of plateauing and thinking that whatever he's doing is enough. So he needs to be he needs to be active. So in that regards, I feel this is a good fight. This is a good fight because it's going to force him to have to to fight ascending levels of opponents. And then after he gets through a second or third one, now we can start talking about Masvidal's, Usman's, Khabib's, whatever the nature is coming up. As far as this matchup, I don't know what other fights you make at welterweight. I guess you could have Usman refight Covington again, but clearly that fight didn't sell very well on pay-per-view because if it did, the UFC would be pushing for a rematch. It didn't, so the UFC is not. And it was a pretty decisive win for Usman anyways. I, I would think Covington would have to put at least a couple fights together before he would get a second shot at the title. Um, also, Masvidal at this point is the biggest selling option outside of Connor. He's on a huge win streak. He's known in, in, in crossover media. He's got a certain charisma where he can sell a fight to a degree. And, he, and, and like I said, there's nobody else who's got any sort of interest or somebody who's had a big enough win on a big enough stage that would justify them fighting Usman. I mean, I guess you could have Leon Edwards, but, you know, Leon Edwards has even less of a fan base, and he's beaten even less names. 
Uh, Tyron Woodley got dominated by Usman, so there's no way he could get a media rematch. We've already discussed Covington. So who else is there? Who else is there at the division who, who has a justifiable and reasonable reason, reason to be put in this position as a title challenger? It's pretty much Masvidal. And, and, and from that regard, it's probably the best fight to make. And as far as the skill set goes, Masvidal is not the greatest wrestler or grappler, but the fact is he has a good enough all-around skill set where there are positions and spots he can take advantage of Usman in if he can navigate the wrestling. So as far as an actual matchup fight, it makes some kind of sense. And as far as actually being able to sell it or maximize whatever earning potential Usman has, um, this is the best fight he has available to him. So, hmm, the Usman fight is the best fight available to him. You don't think that him versus Connor is a bigger financial well, opportunity? For uh, him no, no. Oh, oh, for 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 Masvidal, it's a bigger, it's a bigger, it's a bigger opportunity. But we have to look at it this way. This way, it, if he beats, let's say he beats Usman and he's got the welterweight title, you know for a fact he's getting Connor net. So, because Connor will want that chance to win a third title in the UFC. So this is kind of an all-or-nothing proposition because if he if he beats Usman, he gets the title. Connor's coming, and now that's a huge fight. Now that's a welterweight championship fight against Connor McGregor. The red panties are really going to come out. The pay-per-view is going to be crazy because the belt on the line. Connor's w- will have put two wins together, and now he's fighting for a title. Not only is he fighting for a world title, he's fighting simultaneously for the BMF title, which isn't real, but still, it's a good it's a good selling point, and he's fighting for the welterweight title. So he can be the welterweight champion and the baddest motherfucker in MMA all in one fell swoop. You can't tell me that fight does not sell on so many levels. Now, for Masvidal, he could get Conor right now, but I, I don't think Conor's trying to make any huge leaps right now. I think Conor's trying to play a strategic game to where he's constantly improving, building up his brand, building up the fans' faith in him, and building up his skill set so he's ready for those elite guys. I really think that's what Conor's doing. So taking Masvidal at this stage isn't the best move. He needs rounds. He needs time in. He needs another training camp. So this is really Masvidal's chance to maximize his opportunity. Because if he beats Usman, the whole world is his as far as money. The whole world is his as far as acclaim. The whole world, whole world will be his as far as the media attention. All he has to do is get past Usman. And he has the skill set to get past Usman if he can just navigate the wrestling. As for new, I mean... For Usman or for Masvidal, the best money option would be Conor McGregor. But I didn't think Conor was going to fight either one of those guys. Not right off the bat. He's, he's not sharp enough right now, I don't believe. So as far as these guys go, this is the best money fight for them available as we speak. There's nobody else Usman can make money with. There's nobody else Usman can fight that makes any sort of sense. And the same goes for Masvidal. Anything else other than Conor is a step backwards. And I didn't believe Conor was going to fight either one of them in the first place. It's going to come down to if Masvidal can beat Usman. Now, that segues into the next fight news that was um, kind of came out is Khabib Nurmagomedov continues to say he's not going to fight Conor McGregor. Um, he brought it up again. He's like, he has no intention of fighting him because he's done all that he needed to do to Conor. So will the UFC strip him of that belt or find a way to get him to take that fight? And this is really disrespectful of Tony Ferguson because we're talking like he can't win uh, that he can't defeat um, Khabib in April, but that's the headline right now. Khabib Nurmagomedov is saying that he has no plans on fighting Conor McGregor. How does that change 
your thoughts about Connor not fighting Masvidal first? It doesn't change it at all because Connor's going to make regardless money regardless. Connor's already made history. He's already beaten all-time greats: Eddie Alvarez, Jose Aldo. He's beaten top featherweight um, Chad Mendes. He's beaten the Colt, the Colt hero Nate Diaz. He 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 doesn't really need a belt. He's going to make money regardless. He's going to as long as he shows the fight, he's still going to make money. He's still even though everybody like everybody buys into the act and everybody thinks Connor's washed and he's faded. The fact of the matter is Connor McGregor is still a top five lightweight, if not top four. And even at welterweight, I could make an argument that he's a top 10 welterweight. I believe he could beat Kobe Covington. I believe he can beat Wonder Boy. I believe he can beat Jorge Masvidal. I'm not saying he will. I believe he can. I think there's a lot of guys at the division that he can already beat as we speak right now. It's just people don't like him. They don't like the act. They don't like how he's been acting recently. So they're going to use that to shade his actual skills, his actual talent, his actual IQ. I don't have that bias. I don't care if I don't like you. I can acknowledge greatness when it's there, and Connor has it. So uh, I don't I don't have a problem with this. As far as Khabib, I respect him not wanting to fight him. I get that stance he's making. Connor really hasn't done anything to earn a fight with Khabib. Beating Justin Gaethje would do something. Beating Justin Gaethje, beating Tony Ferguson, something of that nature might make Khabib think, this is a tougher fight for me. There's a reason I need to take this fight. He showed me something that should, that that make, makes me believe that he might have a better challenge for me. Beating Donald Cerrone in the fashion he beat him doesn't prove anything. Beating Nate Diaz, if he fights Nate Diaz again, isn't going to prove anything. And I respect Khabib for making that stance. I only hope that he's willing, he's really willing to make that stance because it's going to seem really shaky to me if all of a sudden he decides to go ahead with it. I'd rather him be stripped if he's if he's really going to make that stand as far as honor and competitive challenge. I'd rather him just take let the title be stripped from him. I don't think the UFC can do that because the UFC has already been accused of being biased and unfair. And as as much money as Conor is going to make them, putting giving him a shot at a belt that he hasn't earned is not doing him any favors. And I don't think it does the UFC's legitimacy any favors either. So I don't think they're going to strip him. I think Conor's going to have to put himself in a position where Khabib feels forced to t- fight him because of pressure, or Khabib feels forced to fight him because Connor's been so impressive in what he's doing, and so he's his competitive juices are kind of hyped up, and he's like, well, now I want to face him because I've seen that he's done something better or he's learned something more where he's more of a challenge for me. Now, the uh, I guess the dark horse aspect of this is Tony Ferguson. Let's say Tony Ferguson does win um, in that that April bout. How does that kind of shape all of these potential fights being scheduled and and, and planned? Where where would you go with that? If if Tony Ferguson wins, I still would like to see Conor take another fight before he fights anybody who's elite elite. Less is a Justin Gagey, just because that's such a fun matchup and that kind of plays to his strength. Even though Justin Gagey can wrestle, he's not gonna fight a grinding wrestling match that's just not him i don't i don't think he has the cardio for it i don't think he has the discipline for it i think he's going to engage and that's going to give connor the fight he won and it's going to give him a 50 50 proposition um if tony ferguson wins i think most likely unless he crushes khabib there'll be an immediate rematch because if he wins the immediate rematch that cements him as the lightweight champion really cements him and it makes any potential fights with connor bigger i don't know that um I don't know that Ferguson cares really that much about Connor. 
I don't think that he's going to force that fight. I don't think he's going to beg for that fight. I don't think he's going to plead for that fight. I think he's going to continue to fight. And if Connor gets put in front of him, he'll be willing to take him. I think he might call him out, but I don't think he's going to wait on him. I don't think he's going to kowtow to him. So Tony Ferguson fights. The only thing the only, Tony Ferguson wins, the only thing that changes is if Connor demands that fight. And I still don't think Connor's going to demand that fight. I think Connor's going to have two or three fights before he attempts to fight a championship or before he attempts to fight a really elite guy. That's just, that's just my take on it. Unless he fights a Justin Gagey. A Justin Gagey fight moves up the timeline. But outside of that, I think he takes another fight or two before he fights a truly elite guy or he fights an elite guy on that third fight or a title on that third fight. I don't think he's trying to push for that in his second fight in the UFC. That's just how I see it. Which one of these fights gets you the most excited as a fan? Um, I still rather see if I had a choice. It's either Conor Gaethje or Conor Masvidal. That's pretty much the two fights I want to see, just because it has a combination. Gaethje is is a truth machine. What they call in boxing, the way he fights, the intensity, the passion, the physicality, and the power. He's gonna. If Conor isn't really 100% back into fighting, he won't be Gaethje because Gaethje only loses the guys who are willing to walk through fire and really w- willing to answer all the tough questions about themselves as fighters. So that would tell us a lot about Conor and it'd be an exciting match for however long it lasts. Um, Jorge Masvidal, a lot of people, he's not what I would call an elite fighter per se, but he's got a pretty much elite skill set. He can do a little bit of everything. So if Conor fights and beats him, He's a guy of comparable size, if not bigger, comparable strength, if not stronger, and a guy who's got a broad enough and deep enough skill set that if Connor's not 100% on his game, he can exploit him in a multi- multitude of ways, in a multitude of levels, in a multitude of ranges. He can strike with him. He can wrestle. He can grapple with him. So he has a couple avenues to win the fight, and he has the physical tools to win it. So both fights, in my case, whether it's Gaethje or whether it's Masvidal, answer a lot of questions about Connor's mindset and Connor's progression as a all-round fighter. He beats those two, that tells me he's ready to face an elite or a champion next. And I, I, those are the two fights that excite me the most because of the uncertainty of either one of those fights. Good stuff, sir. Thank you for your information there. Uh, we are going to change gears for the last time tonight and move on into... Round number three, where we are talking about some other news from around the world of combat sports. So I want to talk about the story that's kind of been catching everyone's attention this week about one Javante Davis. And if you saw the video and you don't know, he was just charged with domestic violence for grabbing a, I think it is the mother of one of his children, and basically dragging her out of a crowded gymnasium where no one did anything. Schwan, did you see this video? Yes, I did. I actually had a friend of the show, Steve Kim, noted boxing scribe, sent me it on DM. I was like, what is he sending me? And I was like, oh, my God, this is bad. This is a bad look. How bad is this for Javante Davis? Like, how bad of a look is it for him? Well, to be honest, let, let's face it. He's promoted by a guy who's been known to do this kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is Floyd would never do this stuff in public. And, that's, and I hate to say this. It's going to make it sound like I'm misogynist. But the fact of the matter is, there's one thing between hearing about someone choking somebody up, hearing about somebody bullying somebody, and actually viewing it. It was a, the way he walked up and, cho- I mean, it looked like he almost picked her up off the ground and was going to choke slam her. And uh, it was just an ugly look. It was a bad look. And it was, it was very concerning. You know, I'm, 
I'm not saying I ever thought he was. I never thought he was that kind of guy. But now, once you've seen this, it's going to be very hard to market him. It's very hard to sell him. It's very hard to, if you're any sort of decent person, to even really look at him because you saw this. You just you just saw. And then there's there's no other way to explain it other than the fact that you actually saw it. I'm not saying it's okay if you didn't see it. I'm not saying it's okay if it was behind closed doors. What I'm saying is when you see something happen, it's hard to ever get it outside your mind. It's hard to ever move on from it because that that picture, that vision, and the feelings it had, the feelings you have as a result are so intense. So it's hard to ever move past that. Not saying it should be moved past, but it's very hard to move past for that. And even if he's remorseful and regretful, it's going to be really hard to ever get past the fact that he just so casually and so and so aggressively grabbed her, you know. I mean, it's like he was grabbing a guy, like like she was a physical threat to him. It's the way he grabbed her, and and the image of his bodyguards not stopping him, and the image of a group of men around there not stopping him, is a very hard image to wipe out of the minds of women who cover sport, other af- um, female athletes who are in the sport, and mothers and sisters and aunts of girls who will be partaking in sport. Because they often, you know, men are often viewed as protectors of women. And here's a man assaulting and grabbing a woman. And nobody from the media to the fighters to the, to the security to Javante Davis's security seem to have any concern for her well-being or see, seem to be willing to put themselves in the line of fire to protect her well-being. So... Do you, man, there's so much to kind of break down here. Because this was the, the thing that jumped out to me is that this was so brazen. Like, he didn't give a shit that there were cameras in the area. He knew everybody was watching. Does this hurt his stock as a boxer? Because he's right at the cusp of being a breakthrough star. Well, first of all, he, he's not a star. They try to make it like seem like one, but he's not. He's misweight. He hasn't fought real challengers. He's got a, a weak resume. And he's, he's not really a big selling point. Floyd Mayweather keeps trying to convince us that he's a star, but he's really not. Floyd is trying to make him into a star. He is not. They're trying to pick fights to get him in position to where he can become a star by beating some named guys who don't have a chance to beat him or named guys who are now vulnerable. That's the game plan with Javonta. What makes it hard to sell him now is the fact that in this, in this environment, in this climate, you can't have suspicions of you doing that sort of thing. That hurts your earning potential. That hurts your standing in, in the public eye as a sportsman and as a man. And for people to actually have watched this video, you know, nobody just watched it once. I know I watched it three or four times. So I could, you know, I was like, you know, oh my God, what am I watching? And then there's tons of think pieces on it. There's tons of discussion on Twitter. And anytime he comes up for a fight now, this is going to be an issue. And I don't know that he has the maturity or the social skills to navigate those discussions with the delicacy and the care and the restraint necessary to even put up an image that he's regretful, remorseful, or capable of better. I mean, there's nothing he's going to say that's going to justify this. Oh, I lost my temper. Well, if you lost your temper like that in a, in a stadium with people around you, with, with national TV cameras around you, what did you, what did you lose your temper in private look like? No matter if it's true or not, He's never going to be able to spin a story that's going to justify any of his behavior. And it's not the first time he's done something like that. He made a comment on Twitter one day about knocking a girl out or breaking her jaw if she did something to him like that. 
So this isn't the first time he's made comments like that. He's made misogynistic comments. He's made violent comments before. And I and when as this story goes further along, I'm sure someone will bring it up, and he's going to have something else to answer for. And I don't know that he has the maturity, the social skills, or the emotional IQ to handle the situation the way it needs to be handled appropriately. He didn't have it to handle the situation appropriately when he was there in public. So I don't know that he's going to have it in discussions when he's trying to rebrand his image or remarket himself. And, and once again, I, I have to say, I can't be shocked by him doing this. No offense, but people seem to not, people seem to not understand how much physical strength or being tough or being powerful enables you to walk around a certain kind of way. He's a world champ. I know he's a 135 or 140, whatever. He's a world championship boxer. He is in better shape and a better athlete, hits harder, and is faster than probably 95% of the people walking this earth. Of course he walks in a certain swagger. Of course he thinks he can do what he wants to do. No offense, one-on-one, whether you could grapple or not, nine times out of ten, even against a guy who knows what they're doing, Javante Davis is probably going to kill somebody if he hits them. And most guys don't have the athleticism necessary, much less the durability to stand up to him or stop him from doing what he wants. And plus, he's a millionaire, so he can make problems go away. So, of course, he has that sort of entitlement because he's physically superior to most people, for one, and two, he's financially superior to most people. And he's famous as well. He's not used to people checking him. He's not used to people stopping him. He's not used to being in situations that he can't buy out or shut up with money. So it, it doesn't shock me at all. What shocks me is the fact that he would do it. You know, I, I always like to give people the benefit of the doubt, no matter how they talk, no matter how they act. I always give people the benefit of the doubt when it comes to certain things. So I didn't think he would be the kind of person to yoke somebody up like that. And seeing it, it's going to be hard for him to convince people of the opposite, that he's not that kind of guy. And that's not the kind of guy he's always been. And I expect more stories to come out if there are any. And I expect more tweets to come out if there are any. And I expect this to be something that doesn't go away for a long period of time. And, and I don't know how he's going to manage it. Because unlike Floyd, who had rumors of him being abusive, we have videotaped footage of you choking this woman up in front of God and the entire country without any sort of hesitancy or remorse in doing it. Man, that's a great response to that. Because it was definitely a um, horrible situation that, you know, seeing him get charged with domestic violence, I hope he really does suffer some consequences for his actions. Yeah, I, um, just, I just want to say one more point about this. I, I, there's been a lot of, and this is just a general discussion. There's been a lot of discussion in this about how a lot of guys were around and they didn't do anything. And you know what? I understand what they're saying. As a person, if you know my parents, you know anybody who knows me, they say I'm always sticking my nose in the business that doesn't like some girls getting attacked, somebody's beating somebody up. Oh, here comes Shawan. He's running across the freeway. He's inserting himself in a situation that he does not need to insert himself in. And while I while I do that, I understand 100% why other people don't do that. And I have a lot of female friends who have husbands or boyfriends who do things similar to what I do. And the first thing they told me is if I was there with my boyfriend or my husband and he tried to get up, I'd be grabbing on him to just sit his ass down because I don't know the circumstances between them. I don't know if this goes on all the time between them. I don't know if she's going to go back to him. I don't want you risking your health or risking yourself for somebody who you don't know and you have no you have no responsibility to for when you have a wife, girlfriend, kids, whoever people depending on you, and you're over here 
taking these extreme chances to prove a point. So I understand when people don't involve themselves in situations like that. It's one thing to involve yourself around a, a guy who's bigger and stronger than to you, especially if you don't train, if you're a regular dude. It's another thing to confront a world championship boxer. I don't care that he's 5'3 or 5'4 or whatever. If you've never sparred with a really good amateur or never sparred with a world-ranked pro or world championship boxer, you have no idea how hard they hit. You have no idea how strong they are. You have no idea how fast they are. I've done all three of them. It is stunning how incredibly superior and how incredibly helpless you are before this type of person. So I understand why somebody would not involve themselves in, in this situation. And if I, if I split it around and Amanda Nunes came out there and she started choking me up in public, I can guarantee you a group of women would not step in on my behalf. They'd be like, she's a professional fighter. What am I supposed to do? So it's a discussion that I think needs to be had because we want to look out for each other. We want to protect each other. We want to do right by each other. But when you're dealing with somebody who's been in a situation like that, especially if it's, it's been a continuously abusive situation, and I've dealt with people in those situations, you might be putting yourself at risk for something that's not going to stop or something that's going to continue or something that ends up backfiring on you where they say you attack somebody or you're the reason this happened. Or you might just get hurt and they might walk off together and your life, quality of life has been impacted or your life has been taken away and these two people are still living together, still fighting together, still going through the same routine. So I just think it's important for us to have that discussion about the realities of interjecting yourself in a domestic violence situation. I'm not saying not to do it because I do it all the time, but I'm willing to take that risk. My mom isn't happy about it. My kid's mom isn't happy about it. My kids aren't happy about it, but that's just who I am. I understand why other people choose not to involve themselves in this situation. I understand what other people would just call the, call the authorities. I understand what other people would just look the other way because we're not talking about a movie. We're not talking about a TV show. This is real life with real life consequences. But once again, this is an example of when you have people in power or people with physical strength or physical power, the freedom they feel to treat people any sort of way and the reaction people have to them doing things that are disrespectful or harmful to others. It, you know, it, it's just a very jarring sight. And to be quite honest, this is probably the norm with people who have physical advantage over people. They, they tend to take their liberties with people. And I think the biggest thing I've found in this is a lot of people, same thing with the Greg Hardy thing, a lot of people talk very harshly about Greg Hardy. A lot of people are going to talk very harshly about Devonta David. But a lot of people, if they were there, would not have said or would not have done anything to stop that situation or interject in that situation. And me personally, I'm always very bothered by people who talk so harshly and call it other people when they have no willingness or interest in putting themselves in the line of fire. I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm not saying you should. But I'm saying if you're going to call someone out, you better be sure that if you were in that circumstance, you'd be willing to ask, ask a tough question or step, in, step in, in between the situation. And most people aren't, aren't. They just like to react after the fact and talk tough after the fact. And I can't stand those kind of people because I'm not that kind of person. Good stuff there, sir. Good stuff. Um, the last combat sports question I wanted to ask you was about uh, Wilder Fury 2. Um, it, it's still a couple weeks out, but is the, is the hype around this fight very low? Are people not as excited as, as they should be? I I think I think as the fight gets closer, you'll see the excitement build a little more. I think people are still hesitant that the fight's going to happen. 
But I think as you as you see it get closer, then Deontay Wilder is going to start ramping up his his personality. Tyson Fury is going to start ramping up his personality, and that's when you're going to start seeing the real intensity between them at the at the at the face-offs. As the fight gets closer, the weight cuts get tighter, the the sparring gets a little bit more intense, the conditioning gets a little more intense. That's when you start seeing those that that the respect start to melt away a little bit, and the 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 civilness start to melt away a little bit and get back into the uncivil, competitive nature of combat sports. And that's when you'll start seeing the uptick in the fight. It's really the best heavyweight fight that can be made right now. It's the biggest puncher in boxing versus the best heavyweight boxer in boxing. And they put on a very competitive, a very exciting fight, both strategically, technically, and in in regards to the, the massive sweeps swings of emotion and excitement and action. So I think the fight right now is kind of simmering, but as it starts getting between another week or two out, that's when you're going to start seeing the big push for it. That's when you're going to start seeing the celebrities start talking about it a little bit more. That's when you start seeing the guys start going at each other's necks a little bit more, and that's when the interest is really going to start building. I still think a lot of people think the fight might not happen and something's going to come out because in heavyweight fights and in boxing and mixed martial arts, people always tend to get hurt, get cut, tend to drop out. So I don't think a lot of people want to get too excited just yet. But, but when it starts seeing, seeming like it's inevitable the fight's going to happen, then that's when you're going to start seeing the big media push. And that's when you're going to start seeing, hear about the pay-per-view vibes. And that's when you're going to start seeing them really open up and go after each other verbally and in some cases physically. Well, we will be sure to have a, full, a more full and in-depth breakdown probably the week of, uh, of that pretty big fight there. The last combat sports thing I wanted to talk about was a reference to our World Rumble recap from a couple Sundays ago. We have all we have almost 1,200 views on that, so I wanted to take a minute to say thank you for everyone taking the time to listen to that show. We will be doing that more. That is very impressive. Day. Yeah, I know. It was crazy. I wasn't expecting that. We will be doing more. Bro, like, wait a minute. 120. Wait, what's that extra zero doing there? Exactly. I That's got to be like, excuse me, Mike, um, Michael, am I seeing things or is this 1,200? <laughs> I, I'm not this sure. Ain't, this ain't right. Well, we will be doing more uh, recaps like that. So, as always, thank you for um, supporting our content. Um, Shawan, why don't you let everybody oh, know side, what side you're note, side on note. Go ahead. Side note. Thank you for thank you for. I want to thank you for your passion and not just covering mixed martial arts, but covering grappling and covering wrestling. It's a lot. It's a big. It's it's a big plate of stuff that you cover and you go through. And the fact that you're so detailed and so passionate about it is very impressive to me. I know a lot of guys who do a lot of shows, but you can tell certain shows they mail it in, certain shows they didn't do their research in. And in regards to the show, regards to the topic, you are always heavily invested. You might have seven listeners or 700, but you're never going to shortchange them on your effort, on your research, on your attention to detail, or on, or on just the passion you have for whatever you're talking about. And that's the sign of somebody who's dedicated to the sport and dedicated to being a good broadcaster and analyst that regards what, what platform they're on, how big the stage, how big the crowd, they're there to perform. And I commend you for always being able to perform nonstop. You never short, you never shortchanged me. And I've never heard, I've listened to your show. You never shortchanged anybody who listens to your show. And I, I commend you for that. We need more people who, who have that kind of consistency and that kind of passion, not just when it's a casually interesting event, but when it's just the meat and potatoes and talking about other aspects and tough aspects of the sport, which you, you highlight a lot. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that uh, feedback, man. I really do. 
Let everybody know what you're working on. Um, I'm working on some more women's mixed martial arts part. I think I'm going to do a kind of highlight some of the stuff that I see camps doing wrong. And there's so much stuff. So I, I think I don't know if I'm going to focus on Macy Barber or, or focus on uh, Raquel Pennington and that terrible, terrible execution of a plan. Just so everybody knows, Raquel Pennington said she didn't expect Holly Holm to try and take her down or clinch her up against the cage. She paid a coach to prepare her, and he didn't prepare her for Holly Holm to clinch her up or take her down. That in and of itself tells you these guys are stealing money, and I got to write about it. But right now, what I'm very proud about is my article about the Green Arrow. The show just finished its eight-season run, and I broke down his strategies, techniques, and tools, i.e. his weapons, and his fight style in a similar manner to what I did with Captain America probably about six or eight months ago. Um, I've gotten a lot of good reviews on it from people who are combat sports fans and from people who are fans of the show. And anybody who just likes mixed martial arts or combat and also has an interest in you know, live action comic book type nerd stuff, feel free to look it out. I mean, it's getting, I'm breaking down a fictional character in the same way I break down fighters for fight camps or for MMA ratings. So you're actually getting walk through technical and strategical adjustments that he's making in these fight scenes. So I'm very proud of it. And I hope that anybody who's into combat sports or into comic books and live action comics takes time out to check it out. I'm just I'm very pleased with it, and I hope everybody else is as well. Who are you going to do next? Um, I think it's going to be Black Widow. She's got a, I still have a couple months of that, so I might throw... I t- I've been putting out polls, seeing if anybody wanted me to do something else in between Black Widow, but I haven't got too much response right now, but I know I'm definitely going to do on Black Widow. I've already kind of started breaking down gifts and, and started my routine of figuring out how I can uh, post this in a manner that that's Technically accurate, but also entertaining for the fans of the character. Awesome, awesome. So um, that's all we have for this week, Swan. We will be back next week, sir. Thank you again for taking the time to be on, on the show with me. My pleasure. Thank you for your patience, man. I know it's a handful with me, but I really appreciate it, being a part of the no, show. No problem, sir. We'll be back next week. Have a great night, everyone. All right. Have a good night.